Yeah, yeah. In the Ferrari or Jaguar, switching four lanes with the top down, streaming out, money ain't a thing. Bubble hard in the double law, flashing the rings with the window crack, on the back, money ain't a thing. Nigga, I don't like it if it don't gleam, gleam in the hell with the price, but the money ain't a thing. Put it down hard for my dogs that's locked in the bang. When you hit the bricks, new whips, money ain't a thing. Come on. Yeah, I wanna toss it up. Come on. Uh-huh. Across the board, we burn it up. Right. Drop a little paper, baby, toss it up. Yeah. Slacking on your pimpin', uh-huh. turn it up. See the money. Welcome to the week 5 edition of DFS MVP presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4's senior DFS editor Chris Raybond, joined as always by 4 for 4 associate editor and co-founder of Roster Coach Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on TJ? What's up, Chris? Just coming off a nice, profitable week four, a uh, quarter way through the season, so trying to keep the good momentum going. Most definitely. Now, we got a great podcast for you guys today. Our DFS Theory segment will be on variants, both weekly uh, player variants and variants in terms of your DFS performance and bankroll so stay tuned for that but of course before we go any further on this Wednesday October 5th let's talk about the music that played us in which was Money Ain't a Thing Jay-Z featuring Jermaine Dupri off Jay's 1998 album Volume 2 Hard Knock Life this was actually the first CD that I ever owned before that it was all uh cassette tape so um a lot of good memories with the volume two hard knock life I thought it was a good you know money based um song to open up the pod with yeah and for those of you that don't know a CD is a round disc that music used to come on (laughs) Uh, so you can google it if you want yeah man make sure you google it CD that's CD um (laughs) Moving right in to quarterbacks this week, there's a few options. Um, one I really like is Ben Roethlisberger, 8,600 on FanDuel and 7,200 on DraftKings. He is a home favorite against the New York Jets with a 27.25 opening implied point total. Uh, we talk a lot about Drew Brees and his lopsided home road splits but big ben actually has some lopsided home road splits of his own since 2014 big ben is averaging 340 passing yards per game at home and 2.88 passing touchdowns per game at home which is just ridiculous numbers and that's compared to just 287 yards and 1.06 touchdowns on the road. So that's some real big splits between his touchdowns, especially 2.88 to 1.06. And of course, the 340 yards at home is pretty crazy as well. Now the Jets, they are what my man Adam Levitan would call a funnel defense because the Jets have a really strong defensive line. They are allowing 3.1 yards per carry this season. That's second in the NFL. However, they are also allowing 9.7 passing yards per attempt, which is dead last in the NFL and 0.8 more than the next poorest team. So 
true funnel defense here. The Steelers, always aggressive, will probably be even more aggressive airing it out this week. The 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed metric uh, available to all uh, subscribers bears that out. The Jets rank 8th in running back schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, but 30th in quarterback uh, schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. And the New York Jets lead the NFL in 40 plus yard pass plays allowed. And we know Ben likes to throw deep. Pittsburgh is actually tied for second in the NFL in that category on offense. So Ben Roethlisberger should be a really safe choice this week with some really humongous upside. TJ? Yeah, uh, some some notes about the Jets' defense. We're always looking for spots where our quarterbacks can have increased efficiency. Uh, the Jets rank in the bottom three in touchdown rate allowed, uh, bottom 10 in uh, completion percentage, and they have the second-worst fantasy points per attempt allowed. So really a clear efficiency opportunities for Big Ben, and opponents have thrown over 70% in the red zone against the Jets, just one of four defenses that have seen a pass rate over 70% inside the red zone. So when they get those scoring opportunities, uh, lots of lots of throwing going on. Uh, the guy I'm looking at this week and will probably be one of the most popular plays, but for good reason, is Tom Brady. $8,700 on FanDuel, $7,500 on DraftKings. The Patriots are favored by 10.5. They have the highest implied point total on the main slate, 28.5 points. And the Patriots have been the run-heaviest team this year without Brady. They've ran on over 53% of their plays, and that makes sense. They've been uh, rolling out Garoppolo and an injured third-string quarterback. But with Brady last year, the Patriots ran just 36% of their plays. And if we adjust for wins, which I did in an off-season study this year, which you can look up on 4 for 4 uh, they were actually the most pass-heavy team in the league. So I think we'll see a lot of that with Brady back under center. Uh, Gronk's getting a little more healthy. I think we'll see a little more uh, James White than LeGarrette Blount with Brady in there. Cleveland's allowed a 6.8% touchdown rate, which is the fourth worst of any defense on the main slate. And they've allowed a touchdown on 43% of red zone passes, which is also the fourth worst on the main slate. Usually quarterbacks uh, convert about 24% of their red zone passes into touchdowns. Obviously, Cleveland way below that. I think uh, that if, if you're a angry Tom theory believer, then a lot of those touchdowns are probably going to come through the air. Or even we, we might even see some of those classic Tom Brady short yards, uh, short yardage touchdowns with the, with the big Gronk style spike at the end. Yeah, so what is the narrative street adjustment here for Tom? Like, does he get like a 10% bump, 15, 20%? Like, what is, how much do you adjust Tom because he's angry? I mean, if you, you got to think that if it's like on a scale of 1 to 10, his anger is probably 11. So if, if he would have been 25% owned, it would probably be 36% owned. Does that math work out? I think so. Um, I, okay. I'm not good at doing math um, without Excel, without Excel anymore. I, I used to be right. really good at it, but now I it's just a crutch. Like it's Excel or Google Sheets is, are my calculators now. So, okay. Uh, um, key stat. We'll stick with the Brady theme here. The Cleveland Browns have allowed multiple touchdown. 
passes in all four games this season and in 12 of 13 games dating back to last season with the only exception being Blaine Gabbert. So Tom Brady, angry, 36%. My key stat is actually ties into a question that you have about quarterbacks, and we did not plan this at all. But uh, Mikey stat is that Chicago is the only team that throws on at least two-thirds of their red zone plays that is facing a team that uh, is thrown against at least 60% of the time in the red zone this week. Right, yeah, so I guess I'll just go ahead and ask you. I know you were pretty high on Brian Hoyer these last few weeks, and he turned in back-to-back 300-yard, two-touchdown game. So my question is, do we trust him again this week on the road in Indianapolis? Um, Given that he's still very affordably priced, however, we have Zach Miller not practicing Wednesday with a rib injury, Eddie Royal not practicing Wednesday with a calf injury, Kevin White on IR. What do we think of Brian Hoyer this week in Indianapolis? Yeah, I mean, one of the main reasons that I was really talking about Poyer was his price, and he's still pretty cheap, but he did see a, a slight price bump, at least on DraftKings, he's up to 5500 from uh, 5000 but obviously it's still very affordable. And in a week where at least uh, on on first glance it looks like it's going to be, li- putting together lineups is going to be pretty difficult uh, with the pricing, I think you can consider him just because all around Indy has been uh, very vulnerable against the pass, against the run. There's, um, there's not a good defense. But uh, uh, as far as his weapons are concerned, we've seen this with Hoyer a lot in the past where he chooses one receiver, and usually it's just that main receiver, his number one wide receiver, and really locks on to him. Um, we've seen that a little bit, but it hasn't just been with Alshon. Uh, he tar- he had uh, Last week he was really targeting Kevin White until he got hurt. We saw him really go after Eddie Royal two weeks ago and just really zero in on those guys. So maybe this is the week where we finally see him just give Alshon that 30-35% target share that we're, we're used to seeing with Alshon. And um, maybe that, that keeps Hoyer um, in play because obviously we know Alshon is one of the best receivers in the league. And their, their running back who they're going to be starting is also one who favors the passing game definitely do are we worried at all about speaking of Alshon about Vontae Davis potentially shadowing him or are we not really worried about Vontae Davis as like that level of a corner yeah I mean I I think in the the past couple years Vontae has been that guy but um I don't think we've really seen it much this week I don't I don't even know if he was shadowing um Robinson last week, I, I didn't get up early enough to watch that game, but I, I do know Robinson had a pretty decent day, and then Hearns also had a good day as well. Uh, so it's not anything that's going to gonna deter me. Right. Um, another question, actually, I had. What do you think of Aaron Rodgers? I guess just not just in this matchup, but just overall, because I think after he had a really good game last week, a really good half, I should say, because it was really all of his numbers really came in in the first half against a Lions defense that apparently ranks 32nd in schedule-adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. You know, do we think Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers have fixed whatever offensive issues ailed them, or was it just a case of playing against a really poor defense? 
Well, I, I'm kind of interested in, in this prob probably be a good idea uh, for us to study, but how how much ownership carries over after a big performance um, when there's a bye week following it? Because it's two weeks ago, people tend to have short memories. Um, so I'm pretty curious about that. One of my favorite things, though, is targeting guys like Aaron Rodgers when they are uh, priced above the quote-unquote obvious most popular play. Uh, on DraftKings, Aaron Rodgers is $7,700, while Tom Brady is $7,500. So I think a lot of people might look at that, shy away from Aaron Rodgers. Um, but to answer your question, I I tend to, to lean more towards that uh, Green Bay kind of got things figured out a little bit. Um, I think that it's, it's hard to imagine a spot where Aaron Rodgers is just as bad as he has been. Uh, I mean, last year he was without Jordy, and Giants aren't a stiff defense by any mean. Uh, they've really struggled to get after the quarterback, so that bodes really well for Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, if you give him a lot of time to, to sit behind the line, he's going to pick you apart. And uh, and New York is, is ranks pretty low in terms of um, fantasy points allowed um, per attempt, um, and Aaron Rodgers is obviously up there in fantasy points per attempt. So uh, the, the one concern I, I do have is that New York has been pretty good uh, against quarterbacks in the red zone, but um, it, it is a small sample as well. Right, yeah, I actually like Mason Crosby a lot this week. We'll talk about him a little later. As far as the Green Bay offense, um, I think I think it was a really good sign that Jordy had a good game last week because I think that's really the dimension they're missing. I think mm -hmm. for them to f be fully back to what we think they are, I think I have to see not only Jordy, but I have to see Randall Cobb start performing up to what he was doing before too because I think that's really when their offense shifts into that next gear where they can start really getting Randall Cobb going and get him some 100-yard games and uh, you know he's they've been kind of putting him in the backfield and doing different things with him but he really hasn't exploded really hasn't had those, some of those big plays after the catch so um once once we see Randall Cobb really um hitting I think that's when the offense will be back to firing on all cylinders but let's move on to running backs C.J. Anderson has had a couple of relatively quiet weeks after a hot start to the season. He's 8,000 on FanDuel, 6,900 on DraftKings. He's a home favorite. The Falcons rank 29th in 4-for-4's schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. The Falcons have four different linebackers banged up. They just went out and signed A.J. Hawk because they are really hurting at the position, which is, of course, good for the opposing running game. Anderson averaging 20.5 touches a game. He has scored a touchdown in three out of four games and you know even though the Broncos have had a couple of good days passing the ball after uh, the squeaky wheel got greased with Sanders and Thomas I think because of especially because of the injury to Simeon and he's a game time decision looks like he will play but we're not sure about that I think the Broncos will go back to leaning on Anderson very heavily in what is just an excellent uh, matchup for him so uh, look out for C.J. Anderson to really have a bounce-back game similar to his week one uh, and week two. T.J.? Yeah, uh, one guy that I'm really looking at going back to this well is Jordan Howard. I mentioned him when we when you asked me about Brian Hoyer. Um, he's $7,200 on FanDuel, $5,200 on DraftKings, so his price got, got uh, adjusted up a little bit, but he's still really affordable on DraftKings. 
He saw 26 uh, touches last week for 132 total yards. He's averaging four targets per game. That includes the games where Jeremy Langford was active. Uh, Indy ranks 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. And last week, Howard played 91% of the Bears' snaps. Only DeMarco Murray saw a larger snap share last week. So it's one of those cases where he's just going to get so much of the work, so much of the volume, that uh, even a little bit of a discount is really worth targeting. Right, and one reason I really like Howard is that 91% snap share you mentioned, and when Jeremy Langford was healthy, he was also playing 90-plus percent of the snaps, I think, in week one and maybe even week two. So it looks like John Fox is willing to ride his starting running back, whoever that may be, uh, for a lot of snaps and a lot of touches. So I really do like Howard, even though he is a uh, road underdog in this one. I think his price more than makes up for that. My key stat, Melvin Gordon leads or is tied for the lead in the NFL in terms of carries inside the 20, the 10, and the 5-yard line. And if you've read my DFS playbook running back strategy guide that I release every August, you'll know that 88% of rushing touchdowns occur on the 20-yard line or in. Yeah, uh all the Melvin Gordon. Uh, my key stat, only five running backs on the main slate have accounted for a higher percent of team running back touches this year than Eddie Lacy. Mm, that's interesting. Very interesting. Tough matchup this week, but we saw Jarek McKinnon um, have a pretty good game, and they actually had two rushing touchdowns, so maybe uh, teams can still put up numbers on the Giants, even though they have a pretty solid defensive line. Uh, some questions I wanted, some things I wanted to talk about. Uh, first, do we trust going back to the well on Terrence West? The, the Ravens released Justin Forsett, who was previously the starter. They gave West the starting job last week. He carried over 20 times for over 100 yards and a touchdown, but was not involved in a passing game at all. And now Kenneth Dixon's back. So Dixon and uh, Buck Allen both are better receivers than West. So... Mm-hmm. Do do we trust West against this Redskins defense that has not been good against the run at all, allowing over five yards per carry? Yeah, I mean they've also not been good against the pass. Uh, <laughs> worst team, worst they, they've just been really bad all around. Worst team uh, in the league in touchdown rate allowed inside the red zone through the air. Um, I I have some concerns. I don't know that uh, Mark Trustman is necessarily just going to leave West in there because Trustman really does favor that pass-catching back. We've seen it so many times throughout his career. Uh, he wants a guy in there that can really catch the ball. We saw it late last season with Buck Allen. We've seen it, obviously, the past couple of seasons with Forsett. And both Allen and Dixon are, I mean, they're pretty much, the, this. if you look at their profiles, they're almost the same player. Uh, but they're much better receivers than West, like you mentioned. And I do think that with a, a longer preparation, I mean, they, they cut Forsett, what, within 24 hours of game time? Um, that they'll probably have a little bit more of a game plan to involve their those two running backs in the passing game. So I have my concerns about West, even though he did see 21 carries last week. What about Theo Riddick? He, you know, now Dwayne Washington's hurt. You know, Theo Riddick, they've been kind of treating him like the starting running back, but the, the Lions have really just struggled to run the ball uh, for three straight games now. But Riddick should, again, have a large share of the backfield. I know they talked about getting Zach Zenner involved. 
somewhat. And the Eagles are ranked second in four for fours, schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs in PPR. So uh, what do you think about Riddick this week? His price is pretty affordable for a guy who will get, you know, 15 or so touches. Um, but is the matchup too daunting or, or the offensive line in Detroit too poor to, to consider um, having much exposure? Yeah, my main concern is the the combo of the Detroit offensive line versus the Philadelphia defensive line, which you mentioned is very good. One of the worst matchups um, just in terms of line play of the week. On on DraftKings, I'm probably thinking about him just because he's $4,900, and you could really make up some ground uh, in the passing game on DraftKings. You know, and if you just somehow look into a... Uh, that bonus that obviously helps a lot where as on FanDuel, those game script concerns, um, getting touchdowns, being able to, to move the ball uh, on the ground are really important. So I also have my concerns about Riddick, but I think on DraftKings, I'm definitely still going to consider him um, just because his floor is relatively high uh, in a full PPR format. LeGarrette Blunt has been, has turned in three out of four good games Anytime the Patriots have good game script, LeGarrette Blunt tends to eat. So with Tom Brady back, um, the, the Patriots spread is already ballooned to double digits, I believe, after opening around seven and a half. So given that Tom Brady is going to be highly owned, do you also want to roster LeGarrette Blunt at all? Any interest there, just given the game script and the fact that you know, that's, these are the type of games where he, he tends to succeed, or are you leaning toward mostly having exposure to, to Brady and the passing game? Yeah, I mean, my concern, I think a lot of people forget this, that traditionally we get very frustrated by Bill Belichick when it comes to running backs. We've, we have a, a long history of thinking, oh, this is, a, this is the game for Blunt because they're going to be winning by a lot, or this is the game for uh, whoever their pass catching back is, James White, Brandon Bolden. Uh, Deion Lewis. Without uh, without Deion Lewis last year, James White averaged roughly 13 PPR points per game. So they were really using their pass catching backs a lot last year. That's where my concern comes in with Blunt. Uh, we look at what's happened so far this year. We look at the fact that Patriots are probably going to be ahead by a lot. And the, the classic uh, generic narrative says that's that's the the time where the Patriots or any football team is is going to sit there and pound the ball. But Patriots traditionally um, don't don't uh, abide to that that rule. Um, we've seen a lot of times where they're up by thirty, still throwing the ball, still using their pass catching running back uh, as the extension of the running game. So uh, for the third player in a row, I'm a little bit concerned. Right, I agree with all those points. I think the one interesting uh, way to potentially deploy Blunt would be in tournaments, especially on FanDuel, where you can, you know, I think Melvin Gordon will probably still see high ownership, and Blunt's about $200 less, and I think Brady will have high ownership. So, you know, if if the Patriots get, you know, down inside that five-yard line, um, and, and Blunt ends up getting, you know, a couple of touchdowns, um, that 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 would have otherwise gone to Brady. I think that can hurt a, a large portion of the field, especially since you can pivot from Brady at 87 to a guy like Big Ben at 86. So I do think he's interesting as kind of a, a, a spoiler leverage uh, GPP play, but I do agree. I think, you know, it's really hard to predict running back usage, especially with Tom Brady back. I would 
I would think they would go to more of the receiving back, do some more empty, you know, and really spread the the defense out. You know, they're averaging uh, 12 less pass attempts this year than, than last year. So we have to keep that in mind. As far as Blunt, let's go to wide receivers. And let's start out with a guy who has been in the news just way too much this past week. You know, just on Twitter, on ESPN, everywhere you go. Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham. But the important thing to know about Odell Beckham is that he's 8500 on FanDuel and DraftKings. That price tag on FanDuel hasn't been as low since 2014 on FanDuel, and it hasn't been as low since mid-2015 on DraftKings. The Green Bay Packers rank 31st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. The Packers have allowed the top wide receiver in fantasy in each of the last two games they have played uh, Stephon Diggs in the Sunday night game in week two, and then, of course, Marvin Jones with his 205 yards in week three. And Beckham is getting 26% of the target share for the Giants, and that is the same as last year. So I know some people are saying Sterling Shepard's back, Victor Cruz is back, you know, Beckham is getting less of the targets, but now especially with, you know, Shane Vereen's not there. I know Bobby Rainey got a lot of catches in garbage time, but, you know, Beckham is still the main target there. Um, they look to get him the ball uh, roughly once every four times they throw at least, so uh, I'm not really worried about his target share. Not really sure how the public feels about him because of all this news, but I mentioned this on Twitter. I do like the idea of locking him in on Thursday FanDuel slates before, you know, some of the recency bias wears off and before maybe some of the public uh, reads many of the expert columns that are, I'm sure, going to mention the same stats I just mentioned about Green Bay struggles against top receivers. Looks like Sham Shields is still not good from his concussion, so he'll miss another game. Uh, And, you know, I really think this, you know, we saw it with Julio Jones last week where these guys will have a bad game and they'll come back and you know it's like nothing happened and I think I think this is a situation where uh, Odell could blow up especially because the Giants are seven point dogs against the Packers on the road they'll probably need to throw a lot the Packers just like the Jets I mentioned earlier the Packers are another funnel defense I mentioned the struggles against receivers and the Packers are actually allowing 1.8 yards per carry 71 carries for 128 yards through three games so especially you know Rashad Jennings probably will be back but Giants running game was never really that good I would imagine the Giants have a chance to throw the ball 50 times against the Packers in this game and then Brandon Marshall is 7600 on FanDuel, 7100 on DK. He's also he's got a 25.4% market share, which may increase even further with Eric Decker likely to miss another game with a shoulder injury. Road underdog wide receivers actually had the best dollar per point value on FanDuel and DK last year. Uh, Marshall getting very valuable targets. Tied for the NFL lead in red zone targets with eight and tied for the NFL lead in targets 15 or more yards downfield with 18 and if you guys have read my value of targets by field location article you'll know that those 15 plus yard targets downfield are by far the most valuable in fantasy and of course red zone targets 
also have a very high correlation with wide receiver fantasy production. So Brandon Marshall, we saw him uh, beat Richard Sherman actually a couple of times last week on routes. So I think Brandon Marshall is going to get peppered with targets in this game. TJ? Yeah, uh, I feel like maybe it's just because I'm I'm in my my Twitter slash work bubble, but I feel like Brandon Marshall's really being overlooked pretty much, uh, just everywhere, just by the public, by by people that do this for a living. And last week I was really on the passing game of the Chiefs against Pittsburgh because I thought that game had potential shootout, and I think Pittsburgh has a lot of. Uh, vulnerability against the pass and obviously didn't work out that way but a lot of my reasoning holds up for uh, playing the Jets and stacking this game again so I I really like that Brandon Marshall call Um, looking at at my wide receivers I think the guy that kind of just jumps off the page to me this week is Julian Edelman $7,000 on FanDuel $6,700 on DraftKings Uh, barely priced as a top 20 receiver priced 20th on FanDuel 18th on DraftKings with Tom Brady over the past three years, he's averaged 6.7 catches on 9.7 targets for 72 yards and 0.5 touchdowns per game. So almost t- so basically a touchdown every other game. Only eight wide receivers are seeing uh, more than 9.7 targets per game, which is Edelman's average with Brady. So probably a really, really high floor there. He's currently accounting for 25% of the team's uh, targets and 33% of the red zone targets. I... I think some people might look at that red zone target share and say that it's going to go down if, if Gronk is healthy, but Edelman's hovered between 25 and 30%, even with Gronk on the field. Uh, Brady really likes throwing to him near the goal line, and Cleveland is vulnerable vulnerable against the pass, but it's really evident if you look at interior wide receivers, either slot receivers or tight ends, uh, just depending on where the team's strength is. So in week one, we saw Jordan Matthews, who plays in the slot. Seven catches on 14 targets for 114 yards and a touchdown. Week two, the Baltimore Ravens don't have much of a slot receiver, so their tight end, Dennis Pitta, nine catches on 12 targets for 102 yards. Week three, Miami, not much of a tight end. Jarvis Landry, seven catches on 12 targets, 120 yards and two touchdowns, uh, and a touchdown. And then week four, uh, Jordan Reed, uh, tight end for the Washington Redskins, nine uh, catches on 10 targets, 73 yards, two touchdowns. So those interior receivers are torching Cleveland, and I think Edelman will kind of do the same thing this week. Uh, my other guy is a guy that price, it's more of just a, a price hasn't caught up to his recent uh, performance yet. Steve Smith, 6300 on FanDuel, $5,300 on DraftKings. Uh, priced outside the top 30 on FanDuel, barely inside the top 30, 28th on DraftKings. Uh, 11 plus targets in consecutive weeks. Uh, he's He looks like he's fully recovered, kind of back to that Steve Smith we expect. We saw him break a long play, so he still has that get-up that that uh, you want your receivers to have, that explosiveness. So I'm, I'm just going to exploit this pricing error and, and plug Steve Smith into a lot of my lineups. Do you think the Ravens will purposely kind of keep Smith in the slot to avoid Josh Norman? Or do you think he'll play his fair share of snaps on the outside as well? Yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out exactly what um, what Washington will want to do with Norman because we did see Norman shadowing, um, especially with Odell, and, and traditionally he hasn't shadowed much, but he's he's done it a little more this year. I don't know if Steve Smith is going to 
demand that type of type of coverage from Norman. I think given the opportunity, Washington would, would prefer to leave him on the left and, and let the safeties um, play on the right side just so their, their defense is more comfortable with that traditional setup. Um, but I I don't think that, that that shadow situation will happen. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw a quote from Steve Smith that said, I don't know why Josh Norman would shadow my old ass or something, something to that extent. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think they'll spend some time lined up on each other just because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think Steve Smith will spend a hundred percent of his time in the slot, but I'm, you know, at the price, I don't think it's like a huge concern. I think Wallace will probably see some of, of Norman as well. And, you know, because Smith plays in the slot, you know, that always helps to, to, to get off some of that, some of that tough coverage if need be. And you can't really, you can't really argue with the with the targets there. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't even know if if other teams are, are like perceive Steve Smith as a number one one target like we might. I mean, some of them might still think that Mike Wallace is is the their number one target just because he's had the touchdown. So I don't really know how NFL teams perceive the Baltimore's receiving core right now because well, because I, I think Wallace had double digit targets last week too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, technically, Wallace is the more dangerous down-the-field threat. Steve mm-hmm. Smith's long touchdown last week was mainly yards after the catch where he broke a tackle. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Not like as much as I was worried about, say, Terrell Pryor last week, who mainly plays on the outside and was Cleveland's mm-hmm. only receiver. Uh, key stat since 2014 Antonio Brown, I mentioned Ben Roethlisberger's lopsided home splits. Since 2014, Antonio Brown is averaging 1.11 touchdowns per game at home receiving compared to just .39 away from home. Of course, he is at home this week versus the New York Jets. TJ? Uh, looking at red zone targets, Emmanuel Sanders and Jordy Nelson lead all wide receivers in team red zone target share. Both wide receivers have accounted for 50% of their team's red zone targets this year. How do we feel about Tajay Sharp? He's gotten at least seven targets in every game. Miami ranks 31st in wide receiver schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed do we trust him at all or is the Tennessee passing game just too weak to really prop up any wide receiver um I just saw that Miami's starting corner Xavier Howard suffered a knee injury which might put Byron Maxwell who got benched and didn't play a snap last week back into the starting lineup Uh, what do you think about Sharp uh, this week against the Miami Dolphins yeah, I mean, I think my my problem is just that my problem is Mike Malarkey. Like he, <laughs> that's my problem. He Marcus Mariota looks like he's getting worse in this offense. Um, I just don't really want any part of the Tennessee passing uh, offense besides uh, besides Demarco Murray. Like they're they're just going to give him a huge workload. Uh, they're running a, just a ridiculously slow paced offense and. It's just a bad. It's a bad offense all around. I just want to avoid. I mean, what, what's the the immovable force versus the uh, the? How, how does the saying go? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was hoping you could finish it. I know what you're talking about, but I cannot. <laughs> well, whatever the opposite of that is, that's the Tennessee <laughs> the Tennessee offense versus this defense. 
Yeah, so basically the Tennessee offense stinks, and that's why we should not care about anyone in their passing game. Gotcha. Um, Terrell Pryor versus the New England Patriots. How do we feel about that situation? We know that uh, Bill Belichick has been able to limit the production of number one wide receivers. I actually did a study about it in the offseason, and the numbers do back it up that wide receiver one production has been down against the Patriots over the last three seasons. So Terrell Pryor against New England, how do we feel about that, TJ? Yeah, I mean, I just I don't think that Cleveland has um, another weapon for Bill Belichick to even think about taking away. So, uh, like you mentioned, he likes to game plan for that top for that top option, and I think this is going to be the case. We have done some some studies on uh, number one wide receivers in uh, garbage time situations and traditionally that's a good spot for them but I do think that there is uh, an extreme to that where we see a situation like last week where um, Pittsburgh got so far ahead of Kansas City and they're they're just really dominating a team that that negative game script uh, doesn't even help your fantasy purposes because the team's just in such bad shape I think we we could see a kind of similar situation this week with uh, Cleveland and New England right and just another final thing on prior um i think all of us in the dfs community kind of got bailed out last week because prior caught a touchdown <laughs> because yes. you know a lot of people it, you know the main concern was you know will prior get shattered by josh norman but i think all of us kind of uh, for the most part agreed um that you know prior was still you know had a pretty decent floor because of you know his dual threat usage he was playing wildcat quarterback he was getting rushing attempts in the red zone he was throwing some passes and last week i think he took one wildcat snap lost six yards on a run and you know didn't throw any passes only had one rushing attempt and you know that was something that you know it's it just shows that and we'll talk about this later just things change so much from week to week in the nfl um and and we have to be aware that you know we can't just take a guy like that's usage for granted, especially when it kind of came out of nowhere the week before. Um, so, and I think you know, I think the reason Cleveland did that is because I think they start they're starting to realize what just what they have in prior as a wide receiver, and you know why even you know try to do try to do that you know put him at quarterback, put him at all these different positions when he's just a really good wide receiver now. Josh Gordon isn't coming back, um, but that being said, I mean he could go right back to playing a bunch of wildcat this week. We don't know that, and that's kind of mm-hmm. my point is that you know we, we can't just take these things for granted, but you know just something going forward. I think we should have all paid a little more of attention to or just acknowledge that you know there's a possibility that Pryor would just go right back to. Um, playing wide receiver. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to tight ends is, you know, Julio Jones coming off a historic 300-yard game. Now he's going to Denver in the mile-high air. Is, you know, recency bias is going to be fresh in everyone's head. I'm sure Julio will be more highly owned than he would have been had he not had a 300-yard game last week. But this is the Bronco defense. Are you comfortable with a 100% fade of Julio this week? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Akeem Tlaib and Chris Harris Jr. are fantastic in the secondary. I think Von Miller is going to make it really hard for uh, Matt Ryan to, to to do what he's been doing so far this year. 
Uh, and the other thing is there are just a lot of uh, high-priced guys that I think are, are pretty attractive this week. We talked about Odell. We talked about Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, that's going to make you like Jordy. Um, some some pass catchers that, that I like to pay up for that I think are in a lot better spots. Tight ends. Looking at Zach Ertz here, I know he's coming off the the injury with a multi-week absence. Not usually a situation I like to target, but especially now with Zach Miller popping up on the injury report with a rib and Antonio Gates looks like he's practicing again, at least on a limited basis. So he might play Sunday. You know, there's really not a lot of places to go with tight end this week. So Zach Ertz, 5,600 on FanDuel, 3,500 on DraftKings. He did practice in full um, coming off that bye week. Detroit has allowed six touchdowns to tight ends already this season. A touchdown to tight ends in every game after leading the NFL in touchdowns allowed two tight ends in 2015. Detroit just really struggles covering the position because their linebackers struggle in coverage. DeAndre Levy, probably their best linebacker, still not practicing. Um, not sure if he's going to play. And the Lions are 31st in 4 for 4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. TJ? It's amazing how every year it seems like there's at least one team that, that's just egregiously bad versus tight ends like mm-hmm. there's a lot of teams that are bad in pass defense rush defense but it's just it, if you if you don't have the personnel to cover line but uh, to, to cover tight ends it's it's almost impossible we saw arizona two years ago saints last year and now uh detroit this year like that's just one of those spots where when, when that tight end matchup pops up um it just seems like like a must play every single week giants every year <laughs> giants every year right um my guy is a guy that, for, for some reason, his, his price is slowly creeping up, but um, he's getting so much work, and that's Kyle Rudolph. He's priced $5,500 on FanDuel, $3,600 on DraftKings. He leads all tight ends in team target share. He's second in targets per game. Minnesota's favored by six. We've shown in some, some off-season studies that positive game script actually really does favor the tight end because they do rely on that offense being able to move the ball very efficiently and getting uh, extra uh, short yardage red zone work. So really like Kyle Rudolph just because his price is, is barely moving. It just keeps slowly nudging up, but very affordable. Yeah, I'm guessing I'm guessing his price didn't increase, um, maybe because the sites are looking at the matchups. Mm-hmm. I know Houston has had a lot of success. You know, they held Dwayne Walker to two for 34 and eight targets, and they held uh, Travis Kelsey to five for 34 on seven targets. So that could be the reason. But Yeah, um, and they were Monday night, so the, the pricing came out before. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, Barudov getting a ton of work. I'll be anxious to see his ownership percentage and so when we do our ownership projections uh, on Friday morning. I'll be interested to see where um, he is. If he's you know, in the top three or four tight ends, it'll probably be a fade for me in tournaments just because of how successful Houston has been at stopping a tight end. But if he's down there, you know, 5% ownership or something like that, then I think he makes an interesting play just because of the volume he's been getting, which in in the red zone too, which of course is very strongly correlated uh, with tight end production. My key stat Zero tight ends have been in the flex in the last 20 winning 
DraftKings Millionaire Maker lineups dating back to week one of 2015. It's actually been nine straight wideouts in the flex, and before that it was five straight running backs, but still no tight ends over the past uh, season and a quarter. Uh, TJ? Zach Miller and Jacob Tammy are the only tight ends with at least four targets inside the 10-yard line. And as far as tight ends, any interest in Gronk this week with Brady back? And you mentioned just how much Cleveland is getting torched by on the interior. But of course, there's been word that Gronk's hamstring hasn't been healing the way the Patriots have hoped. I don't know if you can ever trust injury news regarding the Patriots anyway. So I I really don't know what to think about this. How do you feel about Gronk? And would you rather play Gronk or Bennett? And what if they were the same price? Yeah, I mean, just... Anecdotally, it seems like Gronk gets so hampered by injuries. I know you've done some some studies um, on injuries this year uh, about positions, the, the the broad look at positions. But um, when when Gronk's hurt, it just seems like he doesn't perform. I think they like using him uh, as a decoy because he's just such a, a dominant figure on the field. Um, if if the injury news leads up to kickoff, I think Bennett makes a really interesting play. Uh, especially in tournaments. Uh, you mentioned how bad Cleveland is uh, versus interior receivers like we talked about before. Um, if they were the same price, I mean, I guess it depends what side of the spectrum. I guess the question's more just who would you pick straight up. I think probably Bennett this week, um, but I, I do think there are going to be some really interesting leverage opportunities between these two, especially when Gronk's uh, ownership at some point, inevitably skyrockets when he's completely healthy. We have a lot of really interesting spots to play Bennett at really low ownership. Moving on to kickers, Mason Crosby, forty five hundred minimum price, home favorite. The Packers opened with an implied total of twenty seven point five, which is of course positively correlated with kicker production and. F- Crosby is the number two projected kicker on 4 for 4. John Paulson has been a top five uh, in accuracy in in almost every year out of the past six years. So very interesting that he's a number two projected kicker, but he's at min price. I think he's kind of a guy that, you know, kind of the the default cash game uh, play for me. The Giants rank 31st in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to kickers tj uh defense i'm really fine with paying up for new england against cleveland this week they're the biggest favorites of the week uh they're expensive forty eight hundred dollars on fanduel thirty seven hundred on DraftKings. so if you're looking for uh, price sensitivity it's probably a little easier to do that on on fanduel where the difference of the top defense to the bottom defense isn't as wide of a gap as there is on DraftKings, where you can get some defenses uh, almost $1,500 below the most expensive one. But uh, I really like targeting the Cleveland defense. We've seen uh, lots of teams have some success. But if you do uh, decide you don't want to pay all the way up, uh, I'm also fine with Miami against Tennessee, who ranks in the bottom three and adjusted fantasy points allowed two defenses. Miami is also a home favorite and Tennessee has been one of the worst teams in terms of allowing pressures on the quarterback. Yeah, and not just allowing pressures on the quarterback, but just in allowing 
fantasy points to defenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ever since last season, they've been pretty much in the bottom five in, in that category, and they just they gave up a special teams touchdown last week and then fired their special teams coach. So Tennessee just seems to bleed points to opposing defenses, despite the fact that they're a run-based team. So Yeah, and remember, um, a guy we didn't mention, but a guy that I really like is, is um, Jarvis Landry. And if he's going to be uh, re- returning kicks at all, you get that double dip with, with Miami. Yeah, that's a really good call. I like that. Let's go into our DFS theory segment we'll talk about variance and of course variance is just the the way the numbers the stats vary from week to week uh things change in the nfl just so much from week to week we saw that with julio as i mentioned where he came off a one catch game and then puts up 300 yards we saw it with kelvin benjamin in week three when he was essentially one of the top fantasy receivers in the NFL through two weeks, and then he had zero catches in week three. So, you know, variance is just something to you, you want to get a handle on to become a really strong DFS player. You want to understand how it works. You want to understand uh, it from both a statistical perspective and just also from just more of a conceptual perspective in terms of just the nature of the NFL game. So uh, we're going to talk about a few things here. We'll talk about more of the stat-based uh, variance in terms of you know weekly volatility for each position. Um, we'll talk about some more conceptual things that can't be measured as much. And then we'll also talk about um, variance with, you know, kind of how to hedge variance with your bankroll strategy. So we'll attack it from different angles and start off by just talking about each position, because each position has a different inherent level of variance. And one way to measure that is with the coefficient of variation, or CV, which is essentially the standard deviation divided into the mean uh, of a particular set of data. And that will give you a percentage. And what that percentage is telling you is, on average, how far does each result fall uh, above or below the mean. So the lower the percentage, the more consistent, and the higher the percentage, the more volatile. So uh, for each position, I'll go through them for FanDuel and DraftKings since they are slightly different. Um, the most consistent position on DraftKings and period is quarterback. So quarterback comes in at a 44% CV on DraftKings. Um, these numbers are from 2015, um, and there's an article I did on that called Leveraging Weekly Consistency in NFL DFS, which I will put in the show notes. But quarterback, uh, most consistent at 44% CV. Then come wide receiver at 60% CV. Running back at 63% CV. Tight end at 68% CV. And defense special teams at 71% CV. So again, that 71% CV for a defense would mean if a defense averaged, say, 10 points per game, uh, each week they're av- they would the the average would be you know either seven uh seventy one percent higher or lower than that that average of ten so in reality they'd be having a lot of games of say like seventeen points and four points rather than you know necessarily just ten ten eleven twelve nine uh, etc on Fanduel uh, the order is pretty much the same but the numbers are a little different quarterbacks are at forty one percent CV. Uh, so a little more consistent, probably due to the fact that you know maybe the bonuses aren't you know dragging you know 
benefiting some of the guys who are getting to that 300 yard mark. Uh, then kickers are next at 49% CV, which is something I always like to talk about because I think there's this perception that kickers are very random, hard to predict. They're actually the second most consistent position uh, in fantasy b- b- besides the quarterback. Wide receivers are next at 61%, running back 63%, tight end 70 and defensive special teams at 71% again. And the way you can use these numbers is when, when players are projected for similar points per game, you know, let's say a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver are projected at, at, at 17 points. You know, you can, you can kind of be confident that because the quarterback has that low 41% CV, you know, his floor is probably going to be a little higher despite the, the similar projections. And, and at the same time, you know, maybe his, his ceiling maybe not quite as high. Quarterback scoring usually a little flatter um, in, in week to week. But and it's the same thing when you're just looking at past numbers too. You know, if you see a quarterback that's been putting up, you know, 20 points each game pretty consistently, you can be a little more confident in that, that that's going to continue than maybe say a, a a wide receiver or a tight end who's putting up 20 points a game you can expect a little more uh, regression there because there's more variance for for those positions uh each statistic also you know has an individual level of variance as well and i'll just go over some of them for each position quarterback passing yards are the most consistent at 31 percent and passing touchdowns are at 72 percent quarterback is the only position where touchdowns has have a cv under 100 which means um for every other position you know i've said this before but the default amount of touchdowns for pretty much every position besides quarterback is zero you know there aren't many running backs wide receivers or tight ends that are scoring one touchdown in over half of their game so quarterback touchdowns are the most consistent um and then if, if especially when you're dealing with running quarterbacks it can help to look at yardage in terms of total yard which actually has a 29 percent cv so what's happening there is you know when you have a quarterback like say cam newton you know in certain his, his passing yardage or his rushing yardage individually be might be have a lot of variance but when you combine them together um it, it smooths it out a lot and that's just because quarterbacks in general um their yardage is pretty consistent um same thing for touchdown total touchdowns at 70 percent um so for running backs uh total yards 55 percent receptions 82 percent and total touchdowns way up at 160 percent so you know when you're running backs you're really looking at that yardage um as kind of the backbone for for consistency that's going to have some of the least variance um touchdowns are going to have the most variance receptions are kind of in the middle uh for wide receivers targets have a 41 percent cv um and that's compared to 43 percent for running back attempt rushing attempts so targets are actually a little more um have a little less variance than than rushing attempts um and then wide receiver receptions are at 48 percent so uh fairly fairly little variance there um receiving yards at 59 percent receiving touchdowns up at 151 percent so wide receiver touchdowns 151 percent um is lower than running back uh total touchdowns which has which is at 160 so what that says is that wide receiver touchdowns have actually become a bit more consistent than running back touchdowns. That wasn't always the case, but with the NFL turning um, into more and more of a passing league every year, they seem to set new records for passing attempts, passing yardage um, every year. Um, Wide receivers in general are starting to be um, more consistent. 
And then for tight ends, tight ends aren't quite as consistent as wide receivers. Um, so their target CV is 47%. That's compared to 41% for wide receivers. So um, little more variance for tight end targets. Same things with receptions. It's 54% compared to 48 for wide receivers. Um, and receiving yardage, 65% for tight ends, 59% for wide receivers. And then tight end touchdowns are at 178%. Um, compared to 151 for wide receivers, so tight end touchdowns, um, a lot, a lot more variance there for tight end touchdowns um, than for wide receiver touchdowns. So I know that was a mouthful. So TJ, I'm gonna need you to talk just to break up me doing all that talking. So feel free to chime in whatever whatever thoughts you had about all that. Yeah, I mean, basically, what you were, you were doing there is just giving us a um, a n- numeric breakdown of positions that we could rely more on and positions that we we um, maybe can't always expect the same thing from week to week and a lot of times you 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 think that well i just want i want the guy where i can expect um ex- like know what to know how to project these guys why would i want a guy that that i i don't know how to project but obviously we've talked about this in the past sometimes in tournaments you're going to want that higher uh that guy with the higher variance the position with the higher variance so sometimes putting in a a wide receiver at the flex in tournaments like just don't do it blindly but um all things being equal you want the guy with the higher upside and uh, a real life situation where we we see this and oftentimes um you can really you can really embrace this variance is a situation where maybe you um, you're playing a a tournament, you got a shot at a really big payday, but you're trailing. Um, say you're trying, say you're in second place, you're trailing the leader by by ten points, and you have a, a player left, and for whatever reason, it's a running back in the flex. Um, if that guy's projected similar or, or even higher than maybe a, a wide receiver at the same price, but that wide receiver has higher variance, you're going to want that receiver because he's going to give you more upside. So maybe the running back averages uh, 10 points per game but uh he he's always between 8 and 12 points uh whereas the receiver averages 10 points per game as well uh but maybe he has some 20 point games but he also has some games where he doesn't see a target um you want that wide receiver because he's good he's going to be the guy uh if you're trying by 12 15 points he's going to be a guy that's going to give you the shot to to catch the field and and get that big payday so variance isn't a bad thing you just want to be able to understand it and I should point out that, you know, wide receivers used to be a lot more, have a lot more variance than running backs. I did mention that it's evened out, but I also did studies on just overall ceilings for running backs versus wide receivers and wide receivers generally just have higher ceilings. Like if you just look at the highest scoring games for each position, wide receiver ceilings are higher than running back. So in general, just because when the ball travels through the air, you, you can make up a lot more yardage. It's much hard. It's much. It's easier to get you know a long a, a long pass play um, than it is to, to to get bigger chunks on the ground. So um, in general, wide receivers tend to be good flex options, when, especially when you're in those situations. Like TJ said, um, moving on from from the numbers to just some some more general things that can cause variance in the NFL. Um, teams, they generally watch film when, when, when they're preparing for an opponent, they generally watch the film of, uh, especially the last four games and, and also the last time they faced an opponent and they might watch more depending on, you know, how late it is in the season and they could conceivably watch every game. But if, if somebody did well 
last game, my usual default assumption is to assume that, you know, coaches have seen that and they know that. And now they're probably going to want to make the, the, the offense beat them in another way. So a lot of times, unless it's a really talented player, you know, it's always a red flag for me when kind of a, a fringe guy or a middle of the road guy has a big game. And then he, and then he's coming into the next game. And, you know, a, a lot of people in the DFS community probably have recency bias. And, it, you know, the guy is owned higher than he should be. And then he has, you know, kind of comes back down to earth. And I think a lot of times that's because, you know, the, these NFL teams, just like we're looking at these stats, at these fantasy stats and everything, um, these NFL teams are looking at the same stats. They're, they're looking at they're looking at the same film for who, whoever watches film, and you know they they see these things too, and they don't want a team to continuously be able to do um, what they're doing well. They want to kind of make them do different things. So it, 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 a lot of times, you know, things like that can can cause variance. Um, of course, we we see the squeaky wheel situation causing variance, where you know wide receiver will come off a really bad game where he didn't get that many targets, or he just hasn't been catching the ball a lot, and then the next game they'll come out and make a concerted effort to get him the ball um, early and often, things like that. And then certain there's different certain coaches uh, just naturally kind of game plan to switch it up, um, especially teams that have multiple options on offense. Sometimes they'll just they'll just emphasize a certain player in a given week and in those cases sometimes it's easier to predict but in general some these are just things that we have to look out for I think an, ex- an example is something like last week where Pittsburgh came into the week where they were I believe it was last in adjusted sack rate and they didn't they weren't getting much pressure on quarterbacks through the first three weeks and so they started blitzing a lot more uh, and, and, and against Alex Smith and got some pressure on him and you know that I'm sure that had to do I'm sure they saw those same stats that we're looking at you know we, we're not getting pressure we're not getting sacks and they decided to let it loose even though they were playing a lot of safe coverages um safe defense through the first three weeks so something lot, really something to keep in mind uh there anything to add TJ yeah I, I mean I I think you kind of covered it really well my my thoughts I have remaining are, are kind of on uh, not exactly player position variance, but uh, more bankroll and, and game variance. But uh, you got a couple more points on on the recency bias. Oh yeah, I just wanted to talk about recency bias before we get into the bankroll stuff. And recency bias is really something that, as a DFS player, you really need to be aware of because awareness, and this is true in all areas of life, not just in DFS, but awareness is going to be your power. That's that's where I believe the the, the phrase knowledge is power came from um, just by knowing recency bias exists you're going to be able to kind of uh, thwart it somewhat and recency bias is the phenomenon of a person most easily remembering something that has happened recently compared to remembering something that may have occurred a while back and the way we see this is in DFS is with you know any anytime you are playing DFS and you're making lineups on a site you can click the game logs and, you know, I, I feel like everyone does it. I know I do it when I click a player. It's like a compulsive thing where I just click his profile and I look at, you know, I look at the game log. I look at this news, even though I pretty much know what it's going to say already. It's just like a habit. But when you look at these game logs and you, you see a really good game last week or you see a really poor game, it kind of 
in your head because of recency bias subconsciously even if you don't know that you're doing it which is important to know even if you don't know that you are doing it even if you don't know that you have recency bias you do and you look at a player and you look at his last week's performance and if he, it was really good you'll see in your head you'll pump him up a little bit beyond probably what he should be pumped up and if he did really poorly you'll probably knock him down a few levels more than you probably should have so Always be aware of recency bias. Um, you know, of course, some trends are going to be important, but more often than not, those trends are going to be things that are going to make sense. That you know, it's not going to have anything to do with with performance. It's going to kind of be usage trends, or you know, if a guy you know saw an uptick because of an injury or something like that. You know, the actual last week's performance will be legit. But you know, sometimes in certain situations, I like to just pretend you know that a player's game log was scrambled or that it was in reverse order. Just something to get me out of that mindset of you know succumbing to recency bias and I think you know that was something where uh, we we, I mentioned we saw it with uh, we saw it well we saw it with Kelvin Benjamin in week three where he was highly owned against a a good defense Um, whereas if Kelvin Benjamin hadn't done as well in the first two weeks you probably would have seen minimal to little you know under five percent ownership uh if if he hadn't had a really good week before, two weeks before, um, same thing for Stefan Diggs in week three. Then we saw it with Julio Jones, you know, having pretty low ownership, um, coming off a bad game in, in week four and things like that. So um, really something to keep in mind because I think especially novice DFS players, um, they tend to overweight recent events and you can just see it every week in the ownership percentages where there's usually a few guys that are just owned higher than they should be because of their performance last week tj yeah so recency bias kind of um it's probably one of of the biggest drivers for people making really poor bankroll decisions and not really taking uh, time to understand the variance uh, in in DFS, and I'm not going to be talking about uh, any player pricing or player variance here. Just talking about uh, variance in a game where the edges are very thin. I think maybe one of the worst things that can happen to a new DFS player is they throw I don't know 20 bucks on on FanDuel or DraftKings for the first time ever, and then uh, they win a thousand dollars the first week. It's going to be very hard to convince that player that they're not good and that they shouldn't only be playing uh, tournaments every single week, uh, no matter how long they play or how many bad weeks they have after that. Um, I, I think that really breaking down these numbers and, and understanding that the the variance inherent in this game is is really going should shape how you're how you're playing this game and how you're approaching it. So um, an example that that. I, I like to use, and I've, I've talked about a little bit recently outside of this podcast, is uh, you can have two players with um, exactly the same lineups, exactly the same, uh, entering the exact same game types, same exact bankroll, and variance can lead to very different results for those two players depending on how they're approaching their game selection. So uh, I'm just going to go through an example of players with a a 65% win rate in cash games. And we're just going to make this a very extreme example just for illustration purposes and assume that these players are uh, starting with $1,000 bankroll and that they are only playing one single entry high buy-in tournament a week, GPP. Um, if If that's their strategy, then 
there is a assuming that tournament pays out 20 percent of the field over a four-week period which we're in right now that we're four weeks through the nfl season there's a 40 percent chance that that player uh doesn't cash in a, in any of their gpps so even if they're winning 65 percent of their cash games or head-to-heads they're still going to be slightly losing uh, depending on their game mix. And, and that's kind of a hard pill for people to swallow, I think, because uh, they, they see these lineups that look very good and you, you put so much work into it and then you see your, your cash game. I mean, 65% win rate in cash games or head-to-heads is a phenomenal win rate. Uh, but depending on your understanding of the variance and, and your how you apply that to your bankroll decisions, it can have really, really big um, differences in your results. So let's assume somebody that abides by the 80-20-10 rule. And what that means is they play 80% of their money each week in cash games, uh, 20% GPPs, and only 10% of their bankroll. Uh, if they win 65% of their cash games every week and don't cash in the tournament, uh, starting with $1,000 bankroll, after four weeks, that player's only going to be down $16. But if we just slightly adjust his his game mix and how much he's playing every week, and uh, this might sound high if you look at, if you if you are very strict with bankroll, but it's, I mean, this is, this is conservative compared to what I've seen from some players. Uh, take a player that's playing 70% of their money in cash, 30% GPPs, and 20% of their bankroll each week. Same lineup, same win rates, um, same bankroll as a player with 80-20-10. Uh, after four weeks of not cashing into GPP, that player is going to be down uh, $119 on their $1,000 bankroll. So down 16 versus down 119 So uh, over almost 12% of your bankroll, just depending on your game mix. And I think that a lot of people uh, get lost in variance and don't understand why they aren't being profitable players. It's not hard to not cash in a GPP for four weeks or not have a decent cash. Um, it's actually pretty common. And my example is with those players winning 65% of their cash games every week. Even if you are a 65% winner in cash games, that's going to fluctuate from week to week. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But just an example of how you really have to go through your, your history and how these games are, are being paid out and... Just because you're good at this game, you're you're phenomenal. You're maybe a two to one favorite in a head to head, and that's that's really really good. More more likely than not, you're probably 60 40 at best. Uh, so, I think people fail to really understand these numbers, and then they wonder why their bankroll smaller at the end of the season. Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, I think that's something people really need to keep in mind. You could be playing the same lineups, but depending on how you manage your bankroll and how you deal with that variance, um, you can have really, really different results. So something to keep in mind. And of course, and then another great point you made was just in tournaments, especially you're going to have so much variance that, you know, you could be a good tournament player and go weeks and weeks without any significant profit or anything like that and then one day you might just win a whole tournament so Mm -hmm. um, a lot of variance in tournaments just due to the payout structure where you essentially have a 75 to 85 percent chance of not cashing uh any final thoughts on on variance tj yeah i just do i want to give one quick example of variance in head-to-heads because i mentioned that example with just a static win rate across the board but uh you still shouldn't be structuring your your bankroll plan just based around that because uh you do want to 
build in some, a little bit of a safety net and um, how much how much of swings you, you can really stomach because I think that's that's one thing you know on, on the surface it might sound good to say you know I'm gonna play uh, play this 80 20 20 rule but then uh, if you have a really bad week you start with a thousand bucks you can't reload and then you see two you see two hundred dollars go out of your bankroll um, you might be really uncomfortable with that and, and really uh, just get timid on, on playing this game. So I, I ran some numbers before and just looked, took an example of a, a player that wins 60% of their cash games, which I, I mentioned I think is a pretty good uh, win rate. Someone that's buying in for uh, somewhere between like, like $1,000 and, and, and $1,500 a week in head-to-heads depending on, depending on the week. So on average, that player is going to profit about $120 per week over the course of the season. So maybe you had a similar season last year, um, and you profited $2,000 over 16 or 17 weeks in cash games, and then uh, you start the season this year, and you've had some, some really bad weeks, and you're wondering what's going on. Uh, just based on standard deviations and normal distributions, if you are a, a 60% winner in head-to-heads, and you have a somewhat normal distribution of scores uh, over a large enough sample within one standard deviation your win rate's going to vary from 41% 79% so roughly 65% of the weeks you're going to be somewhere between a, a 41% win rate and a 79% win rate so on on average if you win $120 that means 65% of the time you might lose almost $500 and then uh, other times you might win up, up to $550. And that's only one standard deviation. If we go out to two standard deviations, the player that is winning on average $120 per week or 60% of their games, uh, they could be anywhere. Their profit could swing 95% of their results. Their profit swings are going to be from roughly a 21% win rate to a 98% win rate. So basically what I'm saying is that if you're a really good DFS player, and you have a decent enough sample in a single week, you're liable to lose 80% of your cash games. And that's just normal distribution. That's just normal randomness. Um, I think people really get lost when they see that week where they lose 75, 80% of their head to heads and they just devastated and wondering what could go wrong? How can this happen? That's just normal randomness. Um, even if like you can't pick a perfect lineup in this game, that that's why people play it because uh, you, you can't, you can't predict perfectly what's going to happen. So I think that uh, just take some time, go through your past results, and I think you'll realize that uh, we have a very short sample, a very small sample in an NFL season. And even if you've been profitable for two or three years, um, that's not that many data points. And if you're four weeks into this season and having your worst season ever, maybe that's just variance. Maybe that's just simple randomness that hasn't, uh, caught up to you yet so so don't get discouraged and same thing on the flip side don't think that that you're the best player ever because i mean even with our samples i this is my fourth year playing really seriously and um i still don't really completely trust my results because i only play nfl and i just don't have that many data points on, on what i've done in this game well said. We'll wrap up the theory segment there. Want to quickly talk about the four for four DFS subscription. Uh, of course, 
we have recently implemented the exportable uh, CSVs from the lineup generator for FanDuel and DK. We got the bunch of about 14, 15 different positional pairings for the stack value reports. A lot of subscribers have been having good luck. One guy actually sent us a note a day or two ago saying he won 10 grand on a $3 entry on DraftKings and said it wouldn't have been possible without the 4 for 4 DFS sub and that the uh, $99 he paid for it was probably the wisest investment he's ever made. So uh, shout out to him. Congrats on the big win. And of course, now that we're in October, uh, the pricing for the DFS sub has actually been knocked down to $79 and you can get an even bigger discount if you go to my Twitter at Chris Raybon and there is a discount code in my pinned tweet that works for the DFS sub or any of the other 4 for 4 subscriptions. So check out the 4 for 4 DFS sub at 4for4.com and TJ, quick word about Roster Coach before we get out of here. Yeah, so uh, Roster Coach is a website that I founded that is a video-based DFS site, uh, really going through and just showing you our process, kind of going beyond the written word, showing you exactly uh, what data we're looking at every week, where we're finding it, how we're compiling this data, and ultimately uh, how that turns into building lineups. On top of that, we do offer one-on-one DFS coaching, so I think it's a really fantastic way just to expedite your learning experience uh, Digging into DFS and being profitable with this game really takes a lot, a lot of hours. Uh, it's a part-time job, pretty much. If you want, if you want to be profitable, some people don't have that time. So, people like Chris and myself are available for one-on-one coaching. Go to rostercoach.com. Go to the coaching page, and you can sign up for that. Definitely check it out, rostercoach.com. I really enjoy a lot of the videos and um, have gotten good feedback uh, from my coaching clients thus far. Thank you guys for listening to DFS MVP presented by 444 Football. Really appreciate all of the likes and retweets and the reviews. Um, please leave us a review if you enjoy the pod or give us a retweet. Give us a shout out. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. We thank all you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Any last words, Mr. TJ Hernandez, before we get out of here? Money ain't a thing. Money ain't a thing. Follow TJ at TJ Hernandez on Twitter. I'm at Chris Raybon on Twitter. Let's get this money. In the Ferrari or Jaguar, switching four lanes on top down, streaming out. Money ain't a thing. Bubble hard in the double law, flashing the rings with the window crack. On the back, money ain't a thing. Nigga, I don't like it if it don't gleam, gleam. In the hell with the price, but the money ain't a thing. Put it down hard for my dogs that's locked in the bang. When you hit the bricks, new whips, money ain't a thing. Come on, yeah, I wanna floss with us. Come on, all across the board, we burn it up. Drop a little paper, baby, toss it up. Slacking on your pimping, turn it up. See the money ain't a thing. Sign a check for your hoe Jigga style is love X and O Save all your accolades Just the dough My game is wide All names aside Trying to stay alive Hundred down for the bracelet Foolish ain't out of chain To strain your eye Twin platinum gun son Aim for the sky Ice on my bullet You die soon as I pull it Willies wanna rub shoulders The money's too young See me when it gets older Your bank account grow up Mine's is one zero 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 old up Damn near out the rear trunk When I roll up Motai till I close up It's all basic I've been spending hundreds since 
They had small faces. Yeah. Rob your stash out, doubled out down in Vegas. Me and JD got it locked crazy. Where you at, haters? Jaguar switching four lanes. Top down, screaming out, money ain't a thing. Bubble hard in the double R, flashing the rings with the window crack. Holler back, money ain't a thing. Nigga, I don't like it if it don't gleam, gleam in the hell with the price, but the money ain't a thing. Put it down hard for my dogs that's locked in the thing. When you hit the bricks, new whip, money ain't a thing. Y'all wanna gloss with us? Cause all across the board we burning up. Drop a little paper, baby, toss it up. Slacking on your pimping, turn it up. See, the money ain't a thing.